I'm Christy Bilbrey. Right after college, I started my career in a Senate press office and then the White House. For the next seven years, I worked in corporate marketing before starting my own business. As soon as I did, the one thing I realized that none of those experiences taught me was how to market myself. Promoting yourself can mess with your head. Discovering brand storytelling and learning how to put it to work in my messaging saved my business. Once I learned this, I started teaching other business owners how to put it to work in their business as well. I created the Business That Story Built podcast to help strengthen the stories we tell ourselves and the stories we tell others. Audiences crave the human side of businesses. They want to get to know you, follow you, and interact with you outside of the buying experience. This can be intimidating to say the least. If you're ready to take your mindset and your messaging to the next level, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Thank you so much for joining today. We are continuing in the PR series with a topic that, believe it or not, in our world of PR is a little bit of a contentious one. And that has to do with measurement that's meaningful for PR. Now, I have to tell you, um, we have a guest who is the expert in this area, and I'm so excited that we were able to get him. And I will tell you, it, we went through hell and high water literally to do this. We've had, um, with those involved in the podcast, we've come up against pneumonia in a hospital, COVID, a hurricane, a sprained arm. It's taken a lot, but you know what? We're here. We're really excited to be able to bring this today. So let me tell you who we have today for our guest. We have Mark Weiner, who is a data-informed strategic communications advisor who provides clients with analytics, insights, and guidance to enhance the return on their communications investments. Mark is one of the leading and most respected experts in the world on public relations research, measurement, and evaluation. He has over four decades of experience conducting high-quality, actionable research for scores of Fortune 1000 companies. Since 1993, Mark has devoted his career to helping many of the world's most respected organizations and brands to demonstrate and generate a positive return on their investment in corporate and brand communications. His new book, Public Relations, Technology, Data, and Insights, Igniting Your Communications Return on Investment, was named by BookAuthority.com as one of the 50 most important PR books in history. Mark received the 2018 Jack Felton Medal for Lifetime Achievement from the Institute of Public Relations, for whom he serves as a board member. Mark is also a member of the Page Society and serves on the advisory board at the University of Florida's School of Public Relations. Thank you so much for joining today, Mark. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. And I'm doing something that I have never done so far on this podcast, which is have a co-host today. So let me tell you a little bit about that. I'm joined by one of my own team members, Samantha Leone. And she, the reason she's here is because she's actually studied a lot of Mark's work for years and highly recommended him as the perfect guest to discuss this topic. So I wanted to bring her into the conversation. Samantha is a communicator with a bachelor's and master's degree from University of Florida's College of Journalism and Communications, where she was awarded the Dean's Cup for Scholarship, as well as the Outstanding Public Relations Scholar Award. She has a passion for PR research and trends and has expertise in science communications and digital storytelling. Thank you so much for joining as well, Samantha. You're glad to join. Yeah, this will be a fun conversation. Well, with that, I just want to jump right in because we have a lot to cover today. So Mark, there can be a lot of frustration on both sides of the PR side, as well as the executive side about meaningful metrics in PR. You write all about that in your book, which we'll get into everything from tracking to interpreting to strategic decisions based on findings. So what do you think can help allay friction between PR teams and executives when it comes to finding meaningful metrics and data and determining what to do with it? Well, I 
I think the the foundation for a good relationship between uh, the, the the practitioner and the executive whose responsibility is to fund and evaluate the practitioner's performance is to communicate. This ought to be our this ought to be a strong suit for public relations and corporate communicators. Uh, but we don't often communicate what we do in the language of business. So there's um so I, every year I judge different awards programs, and it's the, the awards program criteria are specific, and um, yet the entries are full of things like generate significant buzz was the objective, mm -hmm. or um, break through the media clutter. So I don't know; they, they never win when I judge, but <laughs> uh, there are always a few, like three out of forty that speak in terms that management would understand. In other words, the language of data and the ability to interpret that data in a way that aligns with the organization's objectives. So um, there's a reason why in many cases, we fail to communicate the value uh, and the impact of public relations because we choose not to speak in the language of business. And that's what these executives understand. And it's not that far away. It's not so far outside of our ability to uh, to understand their preferences and priorities uh, for the results we um, seek and the way we communicate our performance against those objectives. And as long as the objectives are measurable and meaningful to the executive and reasonable for us to achieve, then um, then I think we're in a much better place. Just that in many cases, communicators don't take that, um, the, the, the fundamental first step of understanding the preferences uh, and, uh, and priorities of these executives who in the end will evaluate performance. Yeah, absolutely. Starting with communication. It's so funny. I Even yesterday, I had a conversation with someone who um, she had previously worked at an agency. I talked about, you know, my new firm and I asked her, you know, what was the best thing that you feel like uh, really helps firm PR firms hit it out of the park or go that extra mile for their clients? And she said, it's the upfront communications and calibrating what good actually means so that people are on the same page. She said, more than trying to do extra, it's just making sure everybody's on the same page. And um, you're obviously going beyond that with, you need to speak their language. You need to speak in terms of data and what they care about, because otherwise, I think most people are setting themselves up for failure from the beginning for, through no fault of their own, other than they're making assumptions as opposed to communicating. So I love how you talk about that. Well, thank you. The, the, um, the challenge is that values are subjective. And we're talking about communicating the value, proving the value of public relations and communication. But if we don't understand the um, our, our audience's definitions for value and what creates value, then we're just guessing. And right. Uh, and very often we miss, or we rely on tactics that aren't don't uh, effectively communicate the unique value that public relations brings. Because we we do provide a unique value. Uh, it's just that we're it's not understood by the executives, mm -hmm. and um, and we're not making it any easier for them right. to understand. So Mark, can you talk about how measurable objectives tie back to the very value of public relations itself and the industry's longevity? Sure. Um, well, I think I think the it's, it's it's surprisingly fundamental that you understand it's consider it a marketing exercise that you're marketing public relations to internal audiences, and if. If a marketer doesn't understand the preferences, needs, and priorities of 
the customer, then they are limiting the potential for success. So it, it, early on, um, I recognized that I, I would talk about like the science and the research and how you can improve performance. And people would listen to me for like five minutes and they'd say, well, that's, that's fantastic, but how are you gonna help me prove the value of PR? That's, mm -hmm. that's really what they wanted to talk about. And, I, and it took me a couple of tries, but I, I realized that I was not speaking to the preferences and priorities of the communicator. So for the, the communicator, I had, I had to create something, uh, a, 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 like a survey or a one-on-one -on -one conversation that, that I could have with their executives as an impartial third-party researcher uh, they would see the questionnaire in advance, but the conversations were so formal. So um, we learn about how important different aspects of public relations are to these internal clients uh, and the degree to which they were delivering on those uh, performance indicators. And it was common that it, it was a mismatch. So what was interesting, uh, Eventually, this went from being one-on-one -on -one conversations to an online questionnaire, um, which was faster and less expensive, um, was that the executives speak the language of data and PR people didn't. And this right. was the bridge. And the executives recognized the unique value of PR. It wasn't as if they were dismissive of public relations. It's just that they didn't understand it well enough to um, to invest or to invest fully, they they all recognize that you know yeah we need it, but they they couldn't tell you why they needed it or what it did for them. So once we 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 asked them very specifically about the relative value of different measures, some of which were very common and not particularly effective, like story, you know, number of clips, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. All the way up to, um, and, I, and I think this is in the book too, up to um, you know demonstrating a return on investment, like did it deliver sales? Were those sales profitable? Uh, or did it deliver a, a awareness or engagement or you know whatever the desired behavior was? And that, they valued that most highly, but they didn't know whether it could be done. They didn't think it could be done. And it can be done. And there are um, organizations, especially now, technology has evolved uh, to the point where that's not uh, that far from uh, from one's reach. Uh, it may so in those awards programs, the the companies that come through with a with a very uh, you know complete presentation of how their program. Uh, made a difference you know, in delivering a business outcome, they tend to have the resources to be able to do this. And with the advancements of technology, those resources uh, are available more and more as software. And these, um, these executive, the executives, the communications executives can hire data analysts, data scientists on their team. And this is a trend we're seeing is that more and more companies are buying the technology that enables them to do this kind of research in-house. And it, it, it always delivers um, a good story for communication. Absolutely. In that, in that vein, so you have said that public relations doesn't drive the most sales in terms of volume, but it does provide the greatest efficiency. So can you share a little bit more about what you mean by that? Sure. Uh, the, the biggest driver of, so, so there's a type of analysis called the marketing mix model that isolates the impact of each marketing element. So that can be mass market advertising. I'll use a, a, like a, a, a national brand as an example. Uh, there's mass market advertising, there's price promotions, there's special events, there's um, public relations as far as marketing communication goes. I'm putting aside sales, like salespeople for the moment. And what we see in these models 
is that uh, price promotions drive the most sales. Uh, they also are the most expensive. So they actually lose 25 cents on the dollar on average. Mass market advertising drives sales, but generates roughly 10 cents on the dollar invested. Whereas public relations I've seen drive um, sales um, from $3 on the dollar to $32 on the dollar. So that's what I mean by efficiency. You can spend a lot of money on mass market advertising, but if you're like me, you, you know, you fast forward, skip, it's very easy now to skip ads in the newspaper because it's right. you're reading it online or on your phone like I do. So uh, those forms of communication have a limited return. And because price promotions are giving away product, basically two for one offers, uh, you might try a, a new product, but uh, like for me, my kids would eat any cereal that was sweet. So I didn't care what the brand was. I just bought it because it was two for one. Sure. And they were happy. I didn't spend as much as I would have had to. So I, I, I guess I they were inbred against brand loyalty. Because mm -hmm. I don't know if they care now about what cereal. They probably didn't eat cereal anymore. Anyhow, uh, that's 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 um, that's what I meant about efficiency. Is if you can deliver a sale for but even uh, three dollars in sales on the dollar, you know the average is something like eight on the dollar, that's that's a great return. Uh, what was never, I've done maybe 50 of these kinds of um, marketing mix models where um, the, 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 the company, the client's market mix modeling partner did the, did the modeling because we didn't want to be accused of, we started to see that the returns for PR was so great that people didn't believe us. So it was just easier to hand the data over to people they already trusted Right. We've, been working, we've been working with for years and uh they you know they proved it and what they also proved is that we never reached a point of diminishing returns so the, if the more they invested in pr the returns were consistent whereas mm -hmm. the more they invested in price promotions the more money they would lose even if people were trying the product brand loyalty is not such a big deal anymore. You know, I grew up, uh, my mother uh, ate Rice Krispies every day of her life. <laughs> Not, nobody, I don't know anybody's doing that anymore. She was, she, there was I think uh, I use Heinz ketchup. Sorry, whoever else is, you're listening and you're the other company. But I have very little brand loyalty anymore. And, uh, and it's because of these, like price promotions took me in another direction. So public relations, because it is seen as credible, it's involving, like an ad, you can just flip past it. A story, um, you know, about barbecuing or something, you might read that. And, uh, you know, if it's a recipe or, or hamburgers or something, where um, you might likely use ketchup, uh, that would be another way to get in front of people. So... Uh, we did these studies for uh, big national brands and found consistently that PR delivers the best return. It was never a case where it did not deliver the best return. And it opened up a lot of eyes and mm. investment flowed into PR. In fact, in one case, uh, we did this and the, the head of PR was rewarded with an 800% budget increase. Wow. Right. Now, it turned out, and it was a big company, so the budget was already relatively large. Mm -hmm. uh, but after four months, he said he couldn't spend the money. So he gave half of the budget back. <laughs> I've never heard of that. <laughs> and, the, and the company used money in other ways. Like, and uh, subsequently, he got a promotion. It, it was, no, nobody gives the money back. Right. Well, and also just kind of backtracking a little bit, I know something that you had mentioned to us previously on on our intro call was just even in with online now and the links, you know, those links live on for years and years. And so unlike an ad where it's a spigot, you turn it on, you turn it off, 
um, with PR stories, whether it's podcasts or earned media, I mean, those stick around and help serve you for years. That's one of the reasons why public relations is so effective is it has an extraordinarily slow decay rate. Mm-hmm. So right, price promotions, two for one, you know, on Monday, it's back to the full price. Right. And that's the end of it. For uh, advertising, people can remember an ad for maybe a week or two. But for public relations, especially if it's a um, uh, a major investment, people do research online. I remember um, I was buying a car, so that's a pretty big investment. Yeah. And I was thinking about this one kind of car. I won't say it. And I looked at a, I, I Googled it, just to find like car reviews and stuff. But in front of car reviews at the top of Google was a complaint with a local dealership mm. saying how horrible it was. And <laughs> uh, it, it just spun me around. I didn't want that. I wasn't going to go to that dealer for sure. Wow. But I didn't want that kind of car anymore. I changed my messages based on what I read. Huge impact. Yes, especially the more involved the decision, mm-hmm. the more uh, impact that online will have because of the, re- the research one can do. Um, and yes, you can, t- the technology has evolved uh, so so much in just the last few years. Right. Artificial intelligence being used in new ways and uh, including uh, in, in measurement and evaluation. So, Mark, what are some key insights that um, companies and PR agencies should look for in their metrics, and how does technology end up playing a role in that? Uh, well, technology seems to be a major focus among the companies who provide these types of services. Uh, and technology's role is consistent, um, not just in public relations, but wherever technology is present. So it, it enables speed and consistency principally. And if it's designed properly, it will also enable flexibility and uh, the ability to input human expertise, ideally. So speaking, speed and consistency, number one, I think. Um, and that's true in public relations for software. Uh, in terms of the other part of your question, uh, which was what, sorry. Oh, so the key yeah. insights that companies okay. and PR agencies should look for so, in those metrics, yeah. Okay, so this goes back to the first question about understanding the priorities and preferences of the executives and the organization. Uh, and unfortunately, too many communicators focus on measures and evaluation that do not align with the organization or the executives who make budgeting decisions. So um, if once um, a communications group audits the preferences and priorities of their client, whether it's internal or external, that's like a roadmap. So if executives, there are executives who say press clipping volume, which is a relatively simple measure, counting clips, uh, but for every one of them, there's somebody else who says, uh, I'm not sure if PR can do this, but if you can show me how PR contributes to sales, that would be ideal. So there's a a range, but there's a sweet spot. There's like a bell curve. um, Think of what's meaningful, measurable, and reasonable, and imagine a bell curve. On one end is the very reasonable, but not very meaningful, measure of clip counting or ad values. If you go over to the other side, it's a measure like sales, which is not so easy, maybe easier than it ever was, but it's not that easy. Uh, So not very uh, reasonable, although it's extremely meaningful. Um, And so there's the question of reasonable. If it's really meaningful, but it's expensive and hard to do, then you have to come up with another way of approaching it that may involve a greater budget. In the center are measures like um, delivering key messages to target audiences. So Mm -hmm. internal clients recognize that as reasonable, meaningful, and measurable. You can do that. And uh, also at the top are things like um, um, raising awareness. 
which you can learn through a survey. The second tier are measures that don't that aren't exclusive to PR, like um, setting an objective and beating it, uh, or um, um, meeting like meeting deadlines. So uh, those apply to everybody and everything in the organization. But this gives uh, this this audit is conducted through a, a questionnaire, an online questionnaire. And then it's the communicating communication executive's job to go to each participant or each person who's invited to participate to share the results, the aggregate results, to say, this is what everybody says. How do you feel about that? And this is a way to engage with an individual executive. So maybe there's uh, a recent project I had involved uh, a Fortune 20 company that had very large business units whose names you would recognize. Each of them had a VP or an SVP of communication. We interviewed them all, and uh, as well as the executives. And there were this disconnects that executives had higher expectations uh, or the communicator chose not to measure at all. And in this one case, he didn't stick around too long because it, mm. it was like a Somebody, you know, we opened up for him a can of worms. For others who were already doing a lot of what the executive said they wanted, actually, they got a promotion. Th th that's the truth. One got promoted, one got let go as mm -hmm. a result of this. But it changed the way, the way and the degree to which executives and communicators communicated. And so there became like a standard within the organization across the organization, not just within the business units, but at corporate and across the business units. To get there where you're talking about on the one who did well, I feel like we're discussing a biblical parable almost. <laughs> the one who did it the right way, the one who did it the wrong way was let go. So um, to get to where you want to be, the one who would be promoted, then um, let's just talk about what do you feel like are some of the most important questions that need to be discussed at the outset to develop the right programs, to track the right metrics? Like what would you say to communicators out there? I know it's going to be different dependent on the client, but what are some that are like, well, you definitely need to be asking these questions? Well, again, this, the idea of an audit upfront mm -hmm. as a, as a, as one element in setting your objectives is critical because that that's the um, that's where the value equation arises. That's where um, your measurement plan, uh, not just your measurement plan, but your ability to communicate results is more like it. You have to have the results first. Uh, um, those pieces are really important upfront and. As part of that, I'd say that this, this audit is the first step, and the audit is in the book. I, I, mm -hmm. I think that's in the book. Um, you could do that with a third party. I think it adds credibility to do that uh, because, let's say, like the the internal client, the head of communication, is seen as having a vested interest in a positive outcome. People will not face to face; they won't tell you what they really think. Whereas, if you're you know, um, guaranteed anonymity and confidentiality, and the mm. results will only be reported in aggregate. That's impossible to do if, um, you know, if the head of communications does it, because it's not anonymous anymore, you're right there. Um, and even if you did it on, in a questionnaire online, I found that they're suspicious mm. that somehow you're gonna know who they are or something. So that's that's really critical upfront is understanding the objectives and the measures these internal clients prefer, and then to negotiate once you know what they are, to, to find something that's reasonable enough. So driving sales, yeah, we could do that. We can prove that, but we need a, another, you know, another $200,000 in the budget to do that. Uh, would that be, you know, are you okay with that? Let's pretend they say yes, wonderful. Let's pretend they say no. Mm -hmm. Then you can have a negotiation about What's a reasonable surrogate for sales? How about our ability to deliver 
sales messages through the media. So let's say, uh, let's pretend there's a, a grading system, one through five. I'm, I'm kind of winging it. The highest value five means that the, uh, the URL for the website is shown, the price points are shown, and there's a picture of the product. If we did that, that's about it. You know, that you were leading somebody right up to the point of sale. Would that be a five? And then, you know, a one would be, they mentioned the product name or the company name, which is the only way you'd be able to identify that story as being associated. So um, there, there are ways and it involves this negotiation. And uh, so I've had some people do this audit. In one case, the PR person refused to use it because the, mm -hmm. the board, it was a, non a small nonprofit and the board was comprised of real estate agency owners. And every year they elected a new slate from among realtors who don't know anything about public relations. They, the number one answer for uh, the best way to demonstrate the value of PR was to advertise more. Hmm. So there was a lot of uh, unhelpful feedback from them. And so the communicator saw it, realized it wasn't going to be helpful okay. and, and, and recognized they needed to start somewhere else, hmm. especially since, you know, in 10 months, it would be a new slate of people who didn't know. Right. And so she needed to, to educate her internal clients uh, before she could even measure and can you step back a bit? You, your book has some really great, uh, so much information when it comes to the audits. Can you just kind of give a little bit of the oh. overarching pieces? Yeah, here, and I'll show it. It's a little blurry on yours because your background's blurred. Here we go. This is a copy of the book for those who are watching on YouTube. Um, and we will definitely have the link to that in the show notes. But you do, you get into this really in-depth comprehensive audit that I really appreciated. Um, can you just kind of share what are the biggest overarching pieces of that audit? Well, there were, I think there are two audits in there. One is for journalists and influencers, and one is for these internal clients. The internal clients, um, the biggest elements are the degree to which public relations uh, delivers a positive return compared to advertising, marketing, HR legal, other areas within the organization. Mm -hmm. And then it skips to, let's talk about public relations in particular, and um, what uh, what are the best measures of public relations? To what degree uh, do you believe, does, does the respondent uh, recognize uh, these measures in the way that PR is currently being reported? Uh, what would you prefer? You know, among all of these things from clip counting, ad value, delivering key messages, driving sales, or raising awareness, uh, and what would you value most and why? And then um, which media are the most impactful? Which target audience is the most um, meaningful to us? Uh, what uh, could be... Uh, Conversely, what do we want the target audience to do? So mm -hmm. it could be to buy the product, could be to invest in the stock, could be to come work for the company. Just you know, depends on the priorities of the organization. So it's it's surprising that the communicators. Uh, I'm 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 really generalizing because there's you know people I've met who are extraordinarily gifted at this. Uh, but I also see the entries of these PR awards. And these are entries from people who believe they deserve to be recognized as the best of the best. Mm -hmm. And they're just not. And it's, it's I'll tell you, when we judge, we you get like 40 entries let's see, as each judging group. Uh, 34 are just discarded. Mm -hmm. You just don't even look at them because you could see you go to the objectives and that's where we make our decisions you know drive ad value break through the media clutter there's no way to measure that right because it's so vague indeterminate that you can't so those get 
pushed into that pile. And the ones that are finalists or win are the ones that understand the priorities of the organization and set objectives aligned with those priorities. And then they meet or beat the objectives. So it's so in, in my mind, it's very formulaic. Hmm. And um, I don't know that everybody thinks that way. Right. I, 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 was, I was an English major, so I'm okay. not, and you know, I'm a writer, so I'm not good. I can't even, I, I can't do anything in Excel except um, like diminish, you know, descending order or ascending order. <laughs> okay. That's all I know how to do, but I've been lucky to be, uh, to, to work with people who really know statistics and data. I can tell a story around data, but I can't, I can't compute it. Yeah. Um, and that's a like, that, and that describes a lot of PR people. Mm -hmm. Well, the templates, I found the templates very helpful. The questions and the templates, I feel like are incredibly useful that you include in the book. Thank you. What did you like best about them? I like that I, it's, oh, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> um, just the specificity. I think there are, I think it's the assumptions. I think I realized assumptions that I make and how to clarify that before there's an issue to, to just assume, oh, okay, when I say this, they're saying that. So clearly we're on the same page. And I just love, I feel like, no, you can get more specific. It's like the layers of an onion. It's kind of like, okay, now once we realize we're going to look at the landscape, what does that mean? Okay, beyond just here's the competitors, beyond just these, then what exactly? Even like what you were talking about with, okay, if we can't directly say what sales is, what if we come this close and defining exactly what that is? Um, I just feel like that that level of crystal clarity makes a huge difference. And I feel like alleviates frustration, helps both both sides see when there's a win so they can celebrate those wins and see what the benchmarks are. I just think it it makes everything really clear. Yes, well, the difficulty with peeling back the onion, many layers, many tears. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, anyway, but there's, there's an easier way, like you said. Right. Sam, that question too. Oh, I was just going to say it's helpful because it dissects the process and then you can use the results to develop a language so that you can actually make a connection and progress the objectives of whatever the company's working on at that time. Yes. So um, there's a logic to it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that may be the skill that got me here. So yes, I can tell a story, but being able to break down processes in a logical way uh, I think has served me well, and it, and I think it would it serves it has its place in public relations. So those communicators who believe that PR is a purely creative function, mm -hmm. uh, which is a lot of executives believe that too, uh, we need to let them know that there's such a thing as uh, the science of public relations, not just the art. Mm -hmm. And what we're what we're doing, and this is the um, the mission statement for the Institute for Public Relations is to uncover the science beneath the art. Mm -hmm. And that's where we often miss, is that we, like all those people are saying, you know, broke through the media clutter. They're, they're talking about usually creative activity, but mm -hmm. it's, um, you can be really creative and fail in a really big way. Sure. I, I, I remember um, reviewing a project that was an ice, pop. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. There's the biggest thing at one time. And it was they they create the, the the agency created like a 20 foot ice pop with a you know with a wooden stick and strawberry ice like an ice pop. It was huge and they had to bring it out on a truck uh, to this event in um in Union Square in New York. It was uh, nobody checked the weather. Uh -oh. It was like 95 degrees. So by the end of the event, it was like a big pile of red slush. Uh, uh, it was horrible. So it made a big impression, but it was not the impression anybody would want. And you, you, you well, somebody once asked me, a journalist once asked me for the, um, an example of the worst, you know, the worst 
uh, PR I'd ever seen. And I said, the, 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 and I did not use that one. I said, the worst ones are the ones you never see. Mm. Somebody could have spun that thing, in, that melted ice pop into something if they were very creative and, you know, knew how to work it. But the, 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 the worst performing are the ones you just never even see. They never see the light of day. Somebody, well, thank you. Mark, I was going to quickly revisit metrics and which ones would you say are uh, overused or weighted too heavily today? Well, um, the first thing that comes to my mind is add value equivalencies. Uh, These have become a very, I mean, in, over the years, this has become a very controversial measure because advertising and PR are different. At, at, at one time, like in the, in the era of Mad Men, remember that show? <laughs> They had a PR person at Sterling Cooper, uh, and it was part of an ad agency. That's how a lot of public relations was. So an ad value sort of made sense because that was the way that their client interpreted uh, visibility. But um, it's become controversial. It's it continues to be controversial because it's not measuring PR. It's using a measure for another discipline. So that's one, um, especially now that there's such a technology enables such a wide variety of measures. And um, while there are some organizations and some individuals in those organizations who prefer ad values, like we were talking about with this audit, they may prefer it, but if you're negotiating for what's, it, that might be a reasonable measure, but it's not, but we need to educate our clients as to what is a meaningful measure. So what's the purpose of ad values? It's isn't that ad value is computed by looking at the amount of space or time and and then and the tone of the message. And if we could you know um, replicate the um, control of advertising at the low cost of public relations, would that be a win? You see, it comes back to negotiating like that. Mm -hmm. So add values is number one. Volume is becoming tricky because the media business is in such distress, mm -hmm. traditional media. So, the, you know, this whole, like half of the Midwest is a news desert now. So the number of placements, you, you know, you're already handicapping your ability to deliver high volumes because there's fewer media. And the number of, not just the number of media, uh, is in decline, but the number of journalists is in decline. Mm -hmm. So the, I, I, in writing the book, I looked at the uh, U.S. Bureau of Labor and Statistics to see that the number of PR people now outnumbers journalists by eight to one. Wow. <laughs> one. So, the, and, and I saw another study more recently that showed that only 2% of press releases are ever even seen not covered, not published, seen. I believe it. Because like PR Newswire and Businesswire, all these, all this content is flowing in all the time and there's no journalists to go through it. So the, so the, you know, the goal for um, a communicator would be, you know, to have meaningful relationships with the media that matter and the journalists that matter. When I was a working journalist, I used to get stuff before I knew what PR was. But I knew that these people always knew what I needed when I was on the red line. Uh, I was a a rock music columnist. Oh, I got to go to good parties, and uh, you know I, I had a lot of other responsibilities as that column. So I was really dependent on these PR people who would send me, you know, a quote from Mick Jagger. I never would get an interview with Mick Jagger, <laughs> but uh, they would send a quote, so it made me look better yeah or you know, they'd send me records and i could listen to them stuff like that but uh so those two um so volume is tricky uh ad values are tricky for because they're not particularly meaningful and they're in they are not among pr people not as reputable a measure as they used to be uh the other side of the coin is like i was talking about this bell curve you know, not meaningful, but reasonable. You could get those that kind of data. On the other end of the spectrum was 
really meaningful but difficult. So making a connection with, you know, PR to sales, every executive says they love it if you could do it, just not willing to fund it. Mm-hmm. So there's this negotiation. Uh, and what what we think is meaningful matters for the negotiation. But in the end, the decision isn't always ours. And in those cases, I recommend to people that the executives may not know enough about public relations, let alone how to measure public relations, to give you informed guidance. So if you think a measure is important, uh, make a decision that it's worth for you to invest in that and introduce it when the time is right uh, or not. Because the once you begin to measure, it creates an appetite. And, and these executives will want to know more because they, they already get more from others mm-hmm. in advertising or marketing. They get more than what we would traditionally give. But we have a complicated proposition because it's, like I said, only semi-controllable. So you don't know if something's going to appear or how it's going to appear. So in, so I've often recommended that people invest in where they think the organization is headed. Uh, by Because it, it's part of this audit. I also recommend whether it's formal or informal conversations with your peers. You know, how do they measure in HR? How do they measure in advertising or marketing if you can get those audiences to talk about how they do it and uh, and learn from what they do, what works and what doesn't work. We've talked a lot about different tools and really diving in. Are there any attribution software or tools that you might recommend? Uh, there are. I, I, um, I, I don't know that I know them well enough to recommend them all. Because in when it comes to public relations software now, there are hundreds, if not a thousand of these companies, all offering, making claims for, you know, with AI. But what they mean by AI is open to debate. It's like they, they say it because you have to say it. If you're going to mm-hmm. be in the mix. Um, and attribution, there were, there were technologies, but they um, that I was that I worked with, but it turned out they were not sustainable. Mm. So if you if you once everything is digital digitized, it's a lot easier to do that because you can see if somebody clicked on an article, and then they went to your website. Right. Uh, you can follow them. Uh, that's a type of attribution. You may not be able to follow them all the way to a sale unless they buy something online from your website. But uh, you can get cl- a lot closer than you ever than one ever could. And even that kind of attribution um, elevates public relations within the communication mix because uh, others can't don't have a, um, other disciplines within the organization have no great advantage. They, they, they have trouble making this connection too. Um, I remember working for a, a big big telecommunications company whose name you'd recognize. And every month, the advertising people would come in, talk about their ad spend and how many new new people signed up for the for this telephone service. And you know month after month, it was just in lockstep and it was always going up. Then one month it just crashed, and when challenged in this marketing communications meeting, PR was present, um, and they just sort of tolerated this advertising claims for years. When it was this crash, uh, the, the executives confronted the ad people and said, "What? What happened here? This was the month of our greatest ad investment." Mm. And said. This, their answer was, it's unexplainable. And well, the executives didn't tolerate that. So the PR people were there. And as it turned out, that was the month, that was the, the day, the week, that 60 Minutes did an expose on telecommunications pricing. Hmm. And it was saying that you can negotiate really any price you want. So all the, these claims, which was basically the ad campaign, was that uh, it was a lie. So that, um, so people, you know, believe 60 minutes more than they believe the ad, and they switched because they no longer trusted the client. So 
Um, that was a, that was a type of attribution before there was attribution technology. There was basically no other way to explain it. Like what happened to drive all these people away? And uh, that's sometimes a lot easier to document and to quantify than what is it that's attracting people? Because you know, there's, these major events just are not that common, right? Like like that one. Yeah. Yeah. And even things like UTM codes, kind of like what you're talking about that, that can track, okay, if, if we put this code, you know, here at the story or, you know, wherever it is, we can see that was unique to this piece, this placement. So if they're coming back, we can track that specifically. Okay. But really it just sounds like there's so many on the scene. It's just do your homework and see what, what's actually there. Okay. And and be and be mindful of claims mm-hmm. for artificial intelligence because everybody says they have it, but okay. you're not all talking about the same thing. Uh, and um, another phenomenon is the people who are buying that software are not the often the users. So if you're a charismatic, if you're uh, in front of a charismatic salesperson who can do a demo uh, and make claims, then you might buy something that the user on your team may not find useful. So there's right. a high level of churn among mm-hmm. these among these software options for that reason. Okay. So Mark, on a smaller scale, what are some good ways for smaller businesses to obtain benchmark data when they can't do large scale surveys or focus groups, for example? What are what are some options for smaller well, businesses? You can Let's see. Uh, I'm only hesitating because it's going to require some kind of investment, like an investment in time. Right. And you can use SurveyMonkey and do-it-yourself surveys if you know to whom they should be addressed. Uh, but even a survey from a, a professional survey company, you can get that for under $2,000. So that's not crazy money. You might have to do more of the interpretive analysis. But if you're involved in the, the question, the formulation of questions, which you would have to be uh, for that price, they, they'll guide you. I've worked with those kinds of companies. They're very professional. They're, they're very helpful because they work with people who, don't, who aren't experienced researchers. So they'll help turn questions into the, you know, the right format and the right tone. They're not, so they're not leading questions. Uh, so it doesn't, it's not that far out of reach. I mean, it might not be out of reach at all, depending on the importance of what you want to learn. So if you're bringing a new product to market, uh, you know, the next iPhone, uh, the budget may be, you know, crazy. It seemed like a crazy number, but the implications for knowing that, you know, consumer insight in advance would pay dividends like maybe big dividends, whereas, um, you know, an also-ran product late to market um, might not generate a return. But even if if it's a small organization, uh, I would recommend that they visit the Institute for Public Relations website, institute4pr.org. There are free white papers. Some of them are like one or two pages. Some of them are longer than that. But uh, you can learn basics about how to do a, how to formulate a questionnaire. Uh, focus groups, you know, uh, since you mentioned it, are really small scale, like seven people. Right. Um, you can do that by, you know, talking to your customers and uh, asking them questions in a certain way to get into uh, a conversation. That's that lends itself to transparency and openness if they have complaints, you know? And uh, anyway, Institute for Public Relations, it's a great source of information. And and even if it's a variation, even if the survey is a do-it-yourself or the focus group, which now can be done on Zoom, you don't have to get like a, a focus group room at the shopping mall or wherever <laughs> you do those. Um, you can do it on a small scale and you'll get 
useful results. Just keeping in mind that focus group results are basically the opinion of seven people. Right. A survey means you have a reliable sample, 100, 200 responses, but it's even that is not out of reach. Uh, you know, if, if you have a few thousand dollars, and you might only have to do that once a year or once every couple of years, the strategy doesn't change that often. Yeah, and has a fantastic library of resources, so that's an applicable tip that can be put to use right away. And they're very digestible. Most of them have instant takeaways, and a lot of them aren't too long, as you mentioned. So, good tip. You had talked earlier about being able to take data and tell stories about data. Can you give an example of how PR practitioners can repurpose data into stories, branded stories to help um, help clients make sense of this or even to use for PR purposes? Uh, yeah. So you've seen, you know, uh, I, I don't know why I'm going here, but uh, something like nine out of 10 doctors prefer Campbell cigarettes. Do you remember this? <laughs> Have you ever seen this? So that's uh, that's one from the past. But you can yeah. use surveys. I mean, look what happens with right now with the um, with the fourth, you know, the um, the coming elections. Mm -hmm. Every day there's survey data in the news, and it's real. You know, it's New York Times news and CNN. So there's polls all over the place. I think there may be like a, a saturation point, but if you have a compelling story to tell, it could just as well be something about a product. Uh, the The challenge is making making the 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 research instrument uh, sufficiently uh, design it in a way that delivers uh, compelling results, newsworthy results. That's not always easy, and I think. Um, a lot of those surveys fail for that reason. I've been involved in some that actually guide product development decisions. Like if they do the surveys early enough, um, then you can get into what you know what attributes of this product are, would be most attractive if you could have it, and um, least attractive mm -hmm. if you could avoid it. And uh, that's the kind of that's like market research, but you can incorporate. And, and I recommend always to PR people to. Uh, piggyback on market research surveys because they will ask like product attribute questions, let's say. Uh, they'll also ask questions about advertising preferences, price promotions. They never ask about uh, earned media. Uh, maybe now they ask more about social media. But, you know, who are your, whose opinions do you trust? Mm -hmm. Which spokespeople would you um, trust? And so there's ways to incorporate three or four questions into a, a market, marketing research, advertising research program. They tend to be much uh, better funded. And so uh, adding a question or two probably won't ch change the cost of their survey. Surveys are usually based on the number of questions and also the length of time that uh, if they're done on the phone, they're online and there's no extra cost to adding questions usually. So uh, you can ask questions that enable PR to be a part of the overall marketing communication decision. Mm -hmm. that, that, you know, if it turns out that a, an influencer, uh, let's say a, a newspaper columnist uh, is, or a magazine is more influential and you can get visibility for mm -hmm. a fraction of the cost or, or you can use the two to supplement one another. In my research, working for beauty care clients, they said that the advertising in beauty books, that's like the thick, mm -hmm. lot of advertising, is only a way to supplement editorial. So they may get some small story about a new product, you know, lipstick or whatever, and the advertising is only there to reinforce the editorial. Hmm. It's a lot of money going against the uh, the uh, editorial content. 
in advertising support. Well, okay. So it sounds like you're looking for, you're trying to find either here's what our audience has to say about it, or Mm -hmm. kind of like what you said, you're hoping to identify a spokesperson, like whether that's doctors or whoever they would say, or an influencer, you know, who would they respect? And then trying to get what their opinion or statistic of their opinions, or kind of like what you're saying with if they got earned media and, you know, what is that publication? Kind of this, this extra endorsement is a good way to translate for your audience, the data into something that makes sense for them. And those, and those, uh, references as positive reviews and references can be used to reinforce the uh, the brand message or the company message on websites and in other ways that are more controlled. I work with a lot of automotive companies, and this is a common tactic in automobile advertising: is to quote road and track, mm. car and driver in these car magazines that you know this car is a great car. So that that's the residual value of of editorial coverage is it could be repurposed. Yeah. Uh, with like salespeople could have a handout, website, um, advertising, and even with other journalists. That, hmm. um, you know that this is a topic of interest among their peers. Yeah, that's a good point. Does anything else come to mind when you think about data being repurposed for planning or meeting objectives? Uh, yeah, I think the the answer to that is probably very broad. Mm-hmm. Uh, internally, it should be factored into uh, an organization's overall planning. So, you know, reputation, especially, you know, public relations is closely... Uh, aligned with reputation in the minds of these internal clients and senior executives. Um, so that I think could be a factor in their in their thinking that you know people would prefer to buy from a or do business in whatever form with a company of you know of high standing. And so there are things that the organization can do to uh, ensure its chances to to be a company of high standing. So we do this, we don't do that. Um, uh, you know, being, and what journalists say when we've done these audits with journalists is having access to senior executives uh, outside of formal channels. So in other words, they're saying, I wanna be able to call the CEO or the EVP and have a conversation that's not a guarded, like protected conversation. I just want to be able to. So there's a risk in that. But if you, if, uh, if you have a CEO, for example, who's had media training and who's a you know capable spokesperson, stay on message without that kind of oversight, then uh, you have a great asset. Um, that's what that's what comes to to mind. They also, what else did I say? Easy access, respond. They want PR people to be responsive and accessible. What's interesting is they don't particularly value people being proactive. Mm. So they want you to pick up, a, you know, respond to their email when they have a question. They don't care to see your emails as much or your phone calls. Uh, they'd rather you just be re- ready when they do call or when they reach out to you. Uh, so anyway, that that's what comes to mind. Good point. We have covered a lot of territory here. Is there anything that we haven't discussed that you feel like is important to leave listeners with when it comes to putting together these programs and measuring meaningful, meaningful metrics? Well, I think it's more accessible than people think. Um, and the book entitled PR Technology, Data, and Insights, it's purple. (laughs) Uh, There are are a lot of, like you said, um, helpful, utile examples in there, uh, a logic to it. 
and it's only like 250 pages. It's not not even 250 pages. So it's it's not heavy reading. I try to make it as accessible as this conversation has been, at least for me. I hope it's been for you and your listeners and viewers. So um, that's it. PR technology, data and insights. You can buy it on Amazon or other booksellers, online booksellers. And um, it's now among the 25 most important PR books in history on bookauthority.com. So I thank everybody who wants to know more and buys it. I thank you two for having read it and for allowing- Thanks for sending it to us. To inform the conversation. Yes. And here's, and we'll have this, we'll have this also linked in the show notes. This has been as someone in PR, I think also it would be beneficial for people on the client side who are investing in PR to read this as well, to maybe help the people who are either on your PR team or with, um, you know, PR firms that you're working with. Um, because this does, I feel like this can bring down barriers and make it much clearer to understand. So Mark, thank you so much for joining today. And we'll also link uh, to your LinkedIn. So if anybody wants to reach out, they can they can contact you there. And um, thank you so much to Samantha for joining me in this interview as well. We hope you all enjoyed it and got something out of that and have a great week. To succeed in business, you need brand awareness, authority, and trust. To get those, you need visibility. Podcasts offer each of these. It's a unicorn platform because it gives you the scarcest resource in digital marketing, attention. Did you know that 80% of podcast audiences listen to the entire episode and more than 50% consider buying from a brand or individual that they discover on a podcast? Building your own show and audience takes years. Grow faster by guest speaking on other podcasts to get more leads, build your SEO, and strengthen your brand. To learn how my agency can help, email me at hello at christybilbury.com.